people around us are always desperate for truth, for knowing truth. It's war. And the sight of Jesus, well, that's war. That's where our lives have changed forever. When we made that decision to rely fully on Jesus' death on the cross to provide all that we need for a relationship with God, he gives us life that's more. And demonstrating change, that's more. That's where our lives start reflecting our Father. And that's when people see it's not about us, it's all about him. And then last week, Zach talked about deploying. Deploying inside these walls, serving within our church family. That's more, because that's when we're not just focusing on ourselves. We get our eyes off of ourselves and put others before us. All of it is more. It gives us something to live for that's beyond us. And today we're talking about deploying again, but this time we're talking about deploying outside our walls. We're talking about having an impact on those who you haven't yet trusted in Jesus. We're talking about sharing our faith with those around us. And I know probably what happens for a lot of people immediately when, when, I, when I say that is walls go up. They're just like, oh no. You know, we're going to talk about talking to people about Jesus. No thanks. I'm out. Because the first thing that comes to our minds are things like, man, I, I don't want to offend anyone. Or I don't know how to start if I were to have a conversation. I, I don't know if I know enough to be able to talk to them about Jesus. And I don't really want to come across like I'm better than anyone else. And really, some of those uh, reasons are legitimate concerns. We don't want to be unnecessarily offensive. We don't want to come across like we're better than anyone else. But more than our concerns, what should hit our minds and our thinking is that talking about him is exactly what we're made for. And deploying to go out and share about him is more. It's more meaningful, more joyful, more impacting for eternity than anything else we can do. But even knowing that, we sometimes fail to get it done. And it doesn't really make sense, does it? I mean, it's a, it's a little like if you're into getting good deals, and who is it? You know, you're getting a, and you get the deal of a lifetime on a new car. You just go shopping and get some new clothes, and you get a great deal. It's on sale. You're going to talk about that, right? Would you tell anybody about that? Yes. Or if your team won the Super Bowl. Do you talk about that? I know a lot of Browns fans, and you guys haven't, you know, had, had that experience. But I know you're thinking this year is the year. <laughs> you won a preseason game, okay. <laughs> you know, but you'd talk about it. How about when your child was born? Did you mention that to anyone? See, we would not talk about those things because we like talking about the good things that happen to us. So let's see. I'm a Christian. I'm free. I'm alive. I'm loved. I'm saved. I'm content. I'm blessed. I'm grateful. I'm forgiven. I'm remade. I'm restored. I'm redeemed. I'm the child of the one true king. And somehow... This is something I choose not to talk about? Doesn't really make sense. What makes sense is what we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. If you have a Bible, you can turn that. That's what we're looking at today. And what we see there is pretty simple. 
What makes sense in these verses is that we see what we have already. We have a changed life. We have a commitment from God. And we have compassion for others. And each of those help to shape our outreach. They motivate us. They give us direction in what we do and how we do it as far as reaching out. Mainly, they give us the why of what we do. So let's take a look at it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is a really familiar verse to a lot of people. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now this makes sense. This is what shapes our deployment outside these walls. First of all, the changed life. That's where it all starts. Obviously, in order to reach others, first our lives need to have been changed. And for many of us, that's already happened. In fact, he brought such a change to our lives that we're described here as new creatures. It's like a totally new creative act was done in us. We're completely new. The old things passed away. And specifically in the context that we're talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, it's talking about our old way of viewing people. You know, it's talking about how we used to evaluate them on human terms. It's talking about whatever way people evaluate others in our time. It may be by appearance. It may be by wealth, social status. It may be by race or whatever category you want to put it in. For a Christian, all those categories are gone. Instead, we see them as Jesus sees them. That's our only measure, knowing that they're in need of being made new. That's what Jesus knew, so much so that he died for them. That's why what verse 15 is talking about, just a couple verses earlier, it says, and he died for all. Do away with all your categories. He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So just like he sees them and sees their need of salvation, that's how we're supposed to see them. That's how we're new creatures. And that change happened in us because he reconciled us to himself. He took us from where we were at. That's the whole idea of reconciliation is just God taking us from where we were at and bringing us to where he's at. He brought us into a good relationship with him. And that idea of being reconciled also tells us that before we came to Jesus, we were in a hostile relationship with him. In fact, the scripture says that we are enemies of God. Maybe we didn't know that, but that's what our sin did to us. It left us in a really, really bad situation. See, all of us are in a relationship with God. All of us are. It's just that for those who haven't come to faith in Jesus, it's a hostile relationship. And we're the ones that made it that way. God didn't make it that way. We did. Again, we probably didn't think we were hostile to him, but that's the position our sin leaves us in. For others, those who have come to faith by Je- to, 
to Jesus by faith alone, it's now a friendly relationship. And even more than that, it's a familial relationship. And the reason now that we're family with God is because God took us by his own initiative to reconcile us to himself. And that's exactly what we needed. We needed him to act to reconcile us to himself because there was nothing we could do to bring about that reconciliation. And right there, I mean right there, is the good that's happened in our lives that we should want to talk about. It's the best deal ever that would make sense for us to talk about. The God God of heaven looked at us where we were at, his enemies separated from him. Nothing we could do about that. And God brought us to himself and brought us into a family relationship with him, not only did away with our sin and, the, and, and the, the, the condemnation that that brings, but he brought us to himself and made us part of his family. That would make sense for us to talk about. He reconciled us to himself. And that good that he did for us shapes our deployment outside these walls. He reconciled us, and because of that, knowing how good knowing him is, we want to see others reconciled to him as well. So it motivates us to talk about Jesus. Our changed lives motivates us to tell others about him. What also shapes our deployment is our commitment from God talked about that in verse 19. We're not talking about a commitment that we make. We're talking about a commitment that God gave to each of us who know him. And what we're told here is that what was committed to us is what's called here the ministry of reconciliation. Then it's called the word of reconciliation. What was committed to us was this great truth that people can be reconciled to God. We've experienced it, but we're all supposed to now be involved in letting others know about it. We've all been given this ministry of passing on the opportunity for others to be reconciled to him. That's why we're called ambassadors for Christ here. We're his representatives in this world. And it's through us that God is making his appeal to people. That's amazing that his plan to reach people in this world is to use us to do it. That probably would not have been our way of designing it because we know what mess-ups we can be. But God, with wisdom beyond all of us, made it that way. And that truth that God is offering reconciliation to people is what he committed to us. What an amazing privilege. What an awesome responsibility. God's plan is such that passing on this truth of reconciliation doesn't get done unless we get involved. And knowing that he committed that truth to us shapes our deployment outside these walls. That privilege and that responsibility drive us to reach others. We're motivated by our responsibility. We're motivated by the excitement of knowing he's changed us, We're motivated by the responsibility of the commitment that was given to us, the responsibility we have. And then the third factor that shapes our deployment is compassion for others. You see that compassion showing up in the Apostle Paul here in verse 20 as he begs people to be reconciled to God. It's like he puts aside any and all pride he might have had and he begs. Because like us, Paul knows 
how good it is to have a reconciled relationship with God. And he knows this great privilege and responsibility to reach others has been committed to him. And so out of compassion for them, he begs them, pleading with them to come to Jesus. He just said up in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. This is what controls us. This is what drives us. It's the love of Christ. It's gotten a hold of us because we know the difference that knowing him makes and because we don't want others to spend eternity separated from him and we see them the way he sees them in need of salvation. It drives us out of compassion to try to reach them. That's what shapes our deployment outside these walls. That's what motivates us. A changed life that excites us, the good news of what's happened to us. A commitment from God and the responsibility that we've been given to share Christ with others. And then compassion for the others, the love of Christ controlling us to reach them. There are people you come in contact with regularly who are desperate to know the Savior. Some of them are in such desperate situation, they don't even know they need him. And we see it all around. We live in a culture that is on the cliffs of despair. It's sad to watch. I mean, have you watched the news this week? It it grieves us. I've heard people say, maybe you've heard it too, you know, I, I've, I've just been watching the news. I've, I've got to turn it off. And everybody's pushing some answer that they think is going to work to solve our problems. But at best, those answers are only temporary band-aids on a gaping wound. Our society is reeling from the emptiness that abandoning God has brought to us. Those around us need to hear good news. They need to hear the good news. And this is a moment where Christians have an opportunity to impact others with an answer that changes everything. I mean, we can, we can all just, we can look at what's going on around us and we can all just st- step back and we can close ranks and we can just try to survive what's going on out there. We can be in a very defensive mode, or we can go on the offense. We can go out and share with people a message that is eternally changing, that changes everything. The question is, are we going to step up and get it done? So you might be thinking, well, okay, I get it. I want to reach others. How can I, how can I deploy? Let me give you some, some ways to get going, Okay. First of all, pretty obvious one, pray. You need to start praying specifically about this issue. Pray for yourself. Pray that God would give you opportunities. Pray that he'd give you the words to say. Pray that he'd give you a greater passion for it. Just pray for yourself. And then pray for others. Pray for the people around you that may not know him. Pray for them specifically. Pray for them by name. Pray for people maybe you don't know yet that you'll come in contact with. But pray for them. Pray that that as you 
talk to them about Jesus, that their heart and their mind will be open to hearing, and then that they will actually take that step of coming to him. Pray for them. And then pray for our church as well. Pray that we'd be a church filled with people who want to make an impact on the people around them. Pray that we would reach people for Christ. Second thing is this. Pretty simple again. You can take our REACH class. There'll be one offered later this fall. You can jump in on that. And you can be a part of learning that three-week class, all the how-tos of sharing your faith and various methods and all that. So if you're not really sure how to start that conversation, you're not sure what way to go with that, that class will help you get going in that direction. And if you've taken it before, but maybe you just need to, you know, get a little bit sharper at what you're doing, that'd be a great time to just sign up, get to be a part of it, and, and take that class and, and become more comfortable with uh, opportunities to share your faith. Next one is this. Keep a good testimony. Keep a good testimony just generally in life. Because if you're looking for opportunities, this is a great way to get Don't be out there in the world losing your temper. Don't be out there complaining. You, you want to make a difference in this world? You want to see people wonder what's going on in your life? Don't be a complaint. Don't complain about your spouse. Don't complain about your job. Don't complain about your boss. Don't complain about how much money you're making. Don't complain about the weather. Don't complain. When you don't complain, people will want to know what's going on in your life. Don't be out there living in some public sin. Do what's right with your life, and you will win a hearing from others. Don't give people a reason to reject the message you got before you've even opened your mouth. And, and if they see something in you, that's, it doesn't take... Now, we may think that's a little... We get that we're not perfect. We get that, we're, that we fail. And, and we may feel like it's a little unfair of them to expect us to never fail. But they will grab a hold of anything they can possibly grab a hold of. And it doesn't take much. And so we have to be careful. We have to be as consistent as we possibly can to live before them a good testimony. And then have a good testimony when you talk to them about Jesus. And what I mean by that is when you talk to them, remember who you represent. Don't be obnoxious about it. Don't be rude. Don't be argumentative. Don't be on the defensive. You know what Colossians 4, 6 says, Paul writing said there, he said, let your speech always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt, so you'll know how you should respond to each person. Always with grace. Seasoned with salt. Salt's going to have an impact, but always with grace. Have a good testimony when you share your faith. Next thing is invite people to church. I mean, anyone can do this, right? It's not hard. Invite someone to church. The worst thing that happens is they say no. Invite them to church. What they will hear is the gospel. What they will hear is the truth. 
And if nothing else happens, that could open an opportunity for you later on to have a conversation with them. Just talk to them about what they experienced. Ask them, what was it like the, when you first walked in the doors of our church? What did you experience? What did you hear? What did, what did you think? Get their impressions. Let that lead you into a conversation about spiritual things. Invite them to church. Then share your story. Share your story. Let others hear how knowing God has impacted your life. It's pretty easy. People are interested in your story. They may not agree with you. They may not want to come to Christ or anything, but they'll listen to your story. So if you, as you're talking, you share with them what, how, what life was like before you knew Jesus where you're at, all the things you're experiencing. Then talk to them about how you came to know him, who was involved, what was going on in your life, how, what you learned that, and what you did, what brought you to that point of actually making that decision. And then finally, talk to them about how your life has changed. That's your story, what, what you were before Jesus, how you came to know him, and what has, how has things changed since then. You tell them your story. And then the final thing I've got for you is tell them his story. Make sure that's part of your story, but tell them his story. Talk to them specifically about Jesus, who he is, what he did. Tell them about his sacrifice for sin and his love for them. And if possible, bring them to a point of decision. You don't have to manipulate it. You don't have to force it. But encourage them. If they're not ready to make a decision right then, encourage them to spend time thinking about it. Leave the door open in some way, if you can, in that conversation to come back to that issue at some point. Maybe, hey, maybe we can talk about this later. Try to leave the door open for further conversation. Share the gospel. Hey, just step up. Get involved some way. In the deployment thing out there, get involved some way in talking to others about who Jesus is. You might have heard of a man named John Harper. John was a pastor from Scotland who was on his way to speak at Moody Church in Chicago. This was a guy that was known to be consumed with reaching people with the good news. And he had his six-year-old daughter, Nita, with him as they headed out. They got all packed up, all ready to go. And then they got on board the Titanic. If we'd been there with John that evening, we would have felt an incredible jolt when that ship collided with that ice with that glacier iceberg. And it tore that 300 long foot gash in the side of the ship. And as, as, as people started realizing how desperate the situation was, the captain, knowing he needed to keep order with over 2,200 people on board the ship, asked John to stay on deck and talk with people and pray. And if we'd been on deck with John, we would have seen families splitting up, husbands, dads, taking their wives and their children to the lifeboats to get them on. Wives 
staying to be with their husbands, children praying that they would see their mom and dad someday. And we would have seen John take Nina to the lifeboat and give her a kiss and leave her there. When all the lifeboats were gone, there were still over 1,500 people on the Titanic. John was still there. He gave his life jacket to another passenger. As the ship continued to sink and stood on end and then broke into two, we're told that the lights flashed once and then all the passengers were thrown into the ocean of freezing cold water and and in the darkness. And John was there. And in that tragedy, as the people on the lifeboats looked back and could see their family members and friends trying to survive, screaming, gasping for breath. This guy who is consumed with reaching people, as death's hanging over him, was pushed by a wave up close to another man. And John yelled at him in the darkness, Are you saved? The man yelled back, no. And John yelled at him, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in him and you'll be saved. And then the waves took him apart. Shortly later, another wave brought him back together again. And John yelled again, are you saved? And the man said, no. And John said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And with that, John sunk below the water. The man that John tried to win to Christ was rescued by the Carpathia. And because of John, he gave his life to Christ right there, two miles above the ocean floor. He lived to tell people about it, to tell people he was Harper's last convert. Makes me wonder. How many dying people John Harper shared Christ with before he drowned? And if John hadn't been there, how many people would have died not knowing they could be eternally saved? See, that's what we're made for. Reaching people who otherwise may not know where they're going to spend eternity. That's what we're supposed to be all about. It would have been so easy Right, for John to spend those last few minutes focused on himself. But he knew the importance of reaching others. It's what we were made for. Remember what Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, two fishermen? When he called them, he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's what we were made for reaching others. Reminds me of a story of a group of people who called themselves fishermen. And there were a lot of fish in the water all around them. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, these people who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about how much they wanted to fish. How many fish there were and how they might go about fishing. 
Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means and confirmed that fishing was always supposed to be their primary objective. They continually searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored nationwide and worldwide conferences to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear about all the new fishing equipment. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings they called fishing headquarters, where they encouraged everyone to go out and go fishing. But one thing they didn't do, they didn't fish. Besides meeting regularly, they, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were a lot of fish. The board appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the committee members didn't fish. Large train sitters were built around the original, were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish and the nature of fish and where to find fish and the psychological reactions of fish and how to approach and feed fish. Year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant places with plenty of fish. Many who felt called to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. Like the fishermen back home, they got involved in all kinds of other options. They built power plants to pump water for fish and tractors to plow new waterways. They made all kinds of equipment to travel here and there to look at fish hatcheries. Some also said they wanted to be part of the fishing party, but they felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt the job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. After one meeting on the necessity of fishing, one guy left the meeting and actually went fishing. The next day he came back, he told the others that he had caught two really nice fish. Well, he is honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit his fishing in order to have time to tell others about the experience he'd had. It's true, many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and they dealt with the smell of dead fish every day. They were ridiculed by people who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen but never fished. They wondered about those who felt it didn't help to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't catch fish were really not fishermen at all, no matter how much they claim to be. Which raises some important questions. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never goes fishing? And if we aren't fishing... Then the question we're left with is, are we really following? Because Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. People whose lives have been changed are excited to talk about it. People who've received a commitment of God know they have a responsibility to talk about it. And people who have compassion for the loss are controlled by the love of Jesus to talk about it. They won't just sit around talking about reaching others. They won't just preach sermons about it. 
they actually go out and do something about it. We were made for more. We were made to deploy outside these walls to impact the world around us. Let's get it done. And if you happen to be sitting here and thinking, boy, I don't, I don't know that I know Jesus. And all this stuff that you're talking about, I don't know him. I don't know, have a relationship with him. I've not been made right with God. My sin's still separate. Then we would love to talk to you about that. We're going to pray in just a minute, dismiss the service. There'll be pastors over here in this room, right back here, room one. We'd love to talk with you about that. But Christians, believers, if you know him, You should be excited enough to talk to people. You should realize you have a responsibility. And you should be moved by the love of Christ to tell them about him. Let's get this done. Stand with me, please. We'll pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for so many of us here that know what it is to know you. We've been brought into a good relationship with you. God, we get to enjoy all the goodness of that, the excitement of, of knowing that we know you. And God, help us. Help us as your children to be faithful to what you've called us to do. Help us to be controlled by the love of your son. Help us to see people as he sees them. Not by any other category, but simply by the fact that they need to know you. God, help us. Help us not to just talk about it. Help us to do it. And God, for anyone here who may not know you, God, I pray that today they would come to that point of decision. They know what it is to walk through life with you and know that their eternity is set. God, we love you again. Thank you for loving us today. Thank you for the beauty of this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. We'll see you next Sunday.